one of the things that gets me stuck in this secular age as a person in ministry uh and i'll give you an example of this i was reading the the minneapolis paper today i don't know do you read the paper every morning i do like, but i read the saint paul paper oh okay you're one of those yeah i, I read the west side but uh <laughs> yeah yeah you're one of those el- you're elitist i'm one of the people There was a story in there today, and this was coming out of the the Roe versus Wade decision here in the United States with the Supreme Court and all that. But apparently there was somebody who was on vacation in Wisconsin and was at a Walgreens and wanted to buy some contraceptives. And so the person at the counter refused to sell those contraceptives to this person from Minnesota on vacation. And Minnesota is a little bit more of a blue state than Wisconsin is, you know, and we're getting into the weeds here of politics in the United States anyways. But there was this whole thing where this person at Walgreens, the pharmacy, was like, it's against my faith to sell you these contraceptives, so I'm going to refuse to do it, and I have rights that whatever. Okay. Well, the thing that gets me stuck uh, is I know incredibly faithful people that are on either side of this issue. There's all sorts of other divisive issues, right, that are so important to people and have such huge impacts in people's lives that are faithful folks on each side. How do you navigate that sort of thing in the imminent frame? And we're trying to figure out, okay, God is God, but at the same time, I think we also in ministry have to make specific claims about the way that God meets us and God works in our lives. Uh, and clearly these issues, right, are, are big parts of, of folks' lives, how do you how do you wade through that in a sort of Karl Barth perspective? How do you get through all of those divisive issues? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> that is a curveball, my friend. Yeah, I mean, so one way... Or, to th- or am I even, am I thinking about this in the wrong way, too? Like, have I gotten caught up in the polarization and the black and whites of the ones you know one side versus the other am i thinking about this wrong no i don't think so necessarily i mean um i mean one way to frame that story is that uh what do you do when you have two potentially two people who find themselves at a collision at, at a collision course of uh of discerning what god is calling them to you know so you have someone at a at a uh at a store, um, you know, at, at, at a CVS or whatever, and they feel like the God who is God, maybe, or they feel like um, they're they're listening to God and being obedient to God has called them not to do that, not not to sell um, contraceptives to someone. Where you have someone on the other side who actually quite firmly believes that it is God leading them to. Um, not have a child right now. That there's there's other ways that they're maybe called to do things in their lives, so they need they should they should take precautions to not do it. So so you have a kind of conflict of if we if we take the best case scenario here, we have a conflict of people discerning what God is what God is calling them to. I think what's difficult in this moment for the pastor is if you could just get to the point of trying to discern how the God who is God has been calling people and how we find ourselves at a divisive point be, be um, in the midst of that, that would be one thing. And that would not be easy, but um, that would be an invitation towards pastoral leadership. But usually it doesn't get that far. I mean, usually the reason that b- 
both sides become quite deeply entrenched is because of more political cultural reasons and because of identification with those 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 uh, those realities. And any discernment on God is actually subordinate to the cultural reality. You know what I mean? Like, so for the person who refuses, their view of what God could actually be calling them to is completely subordinate to some cultural ideological perspective, not to the very encounter with the the living God um, and vice versa. I mean, I think one of the real challenges for the pastor is to how do you help people go out into the world? Because in some sense, I mean, think about it this way, like having those cultural ideological perspectives, um, those just are, are, in, in some sense, we need those as human beings as a kind of shorthand to be able to deal with just all the options and all the contingencies that we face every day. You know, so there you go. You walk in. You're just you're one peop, one person, and this is just trying to quickly grab something off the counter and move on with their day. And the other person all of a sudden says, "No, this has huge moral purchase. You can't do this. Um, I can't do this because of my my faith." And now you need you need to make a decision here. And we often run to kind of our ideological perspectives often as a shorthand to try to, to just figure out what we actually think about situations. And maybe this one is a little bit too deeply embedded to need such reflection, but we often do need that, you know, like, what do I actually really think about this issue? Well, what do people on my side think like that, that helps solidify and helps you kind of feel like you can go more quickly in making these decisions or feel like you're not always thrust back on your heels to have to think, Oh my gosh, I have to really think about this. But I do think one of the tasks of, of the pastor that's quite hard here is, especially in this moment is to kind of, Ask people to step out of those ideological perspectives and to to ask, to try to discern again, what is God? What is the Holy Spirit calling me to in this moment? How is the God who is God moving here? And maybe, maybe the answer is, I don't know, or I don't know that God is moving at all. But to start to ask that question maybe takes us out of the, the quick ideological um, cul-de-sac if, if, if that makes sense of each perspective. And so I actually think in that situation you're raising, Derek, that, that neither side really thinks about the God who is God. That said, it could come to a perspective and it, and it has where very faithful people do ask discerning questions, kind of escape the ideological and find themselves at, at different positions. And that shouldn't be like a, set your hair on fire, everything's awful. That should be a reminder that it is contingent, fragile human beings who try to discern the will of God. And so to, to try to discern the will of God, there is the necessity to always confess that human beings are always are always um, very susceptible to getting it wrong and, uh, and often don't see things clearly. And there has to be a, a deep kind of sense of uh, epistemic humility when it comes to discerning the God who is God. If we're not talking about a God who is God, but we're just talking about a God concept or something, then maybe you don't need any humility. As long as you have the, the best hermeneutical apparatus, then you got it and, and you can kind of beat people over the head with your perspective, which I think has happened in kind of American fundamentalism. The assumption is we have the correct apparatus and now we can just beat people over the head.
when when you come to a perspective or maybe a seeking out of the God who is God, does that just necessitate some sort of humility where you're basically saying like, look, I, I don't have the answers here and I'm just going to like mess and muddle my way through that? I mean, is that really what that means? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think in, I think in a, a real way it, it does, and but not in a defeatist way. So it should be an invitation. Making that confession should be an invitation to then search and then search together. Um, now, this is where the our, our analogy just really breaks down. There's no way that you walk into a CVS, you can like enter into a week long process trying to discern the will of God when it comes to that. You just want to buy. You just want to buy some birth control here. You know what I mean? Like, but in a community of faith, that is something you could do is that it, it, there, there is this kind of sense of it being a long process of how do we discern this, which is why I think when someone comes into our communities, which unfortunately is maybe rare and asks, how do I find God or our assumption that people want to find God? Our first disposition should be, we don't know how. What we do know how to do is we do have certain practices to wait together, to uphold each other's humanity, to um, mine each other's stories, to, uh, to pray and enter into processes of confession, and to wait together in a very robust way for the God who is God to act. But there is no kind of direct way for us to access this, this God. Um, the only access we have to this God is when this God arrives, when this God shows up, when this God um, reveals God's self in our, in our midst. That's, that's, that's when we can do it. So the church can never, ever claim that it possesses God. Um, if the church claims it possesses God, then it does not it's not the God who is God that it's speaking of. It's some kind of idea. It's some kind of cultural mascot that it's, that it's talking about. I mean, that's one of the nice things about church over a Walgreens is in a Walgreens, you have a very specific role. You're the cashier, you're the customer. There's no, right? There's there's a function to both of those. In a church, if there's somebody who's, let's say, diametrically opposed to you on every single issue ever, you still have that space for the relationship where you can be like, look, Andy, our kids go to school together and you grew up just down the street from me and we're in the same men's Bible study that meets weekly. Like you can have those spaces for those relational encounters where you can actually, like you said, get into that work of minding each other's story and getting to know each other. And and maybe that's where the work happens too. What becomes really potentially diabolical and opens up to spirit, spiritually abusive is when someone or when both sides are absolutely 100% convinced that they are on God's side, that they, they have it right. And so I think part of the pastoral task is to help people have that kind of epistemic humility and just recognize that whatever conceptions they have, whatever ideas they hold to, whatever perspectives they have, um, that they, they can't cage the God of Israel with those. The God of Israel is a God who acts and moves and um, and speaks within the world, um, and we have to wait wait to hear that. That's just so hard, though, because I think every inch of our lives in this society, you're always working towards becoming an expert at something, or you want to be a competent adult, and you want to make sure you do everything right. And man, to have 
that constant like knee chopping of like, nope, you're wrong on this. You're wrong on this. That just goes against like every atom that we have in our body. It's so against the grain and so countercultural. And quite honestly, uh, I don't hope, I hope I'm not sounding cynical or nihilistic here, but man, I just, I don't think that's the reason people are going to church is to be told that they're wrong about stuff all the time. But yet I think that's, I mean, I think that's the faithful word forward, but man, that is really hard. You know, I think maybe I, I, I told this, but you'll, you'll, you'll have to edit it if I did Derek, but I was at a church and we were doing our, I was doing some conversations about faith and science with, and it was, it was like a adult and young people, like, uh, you know, kind of like Wednesday night during January, a, a kind of elective confirmation thing. And we started to kind of like raise, what are your big questions? What are the big questions that you have that still remain open to you? Like this was towards the end of the session. And, and part of it was, you know, like to pedagogically say that we come in with questions, we leave with even deeper questions. And that's part of what it means to enter into this process of formation that, you know, like embracing the questions are great. So we were going around and people were asking questions. People were still had questions about evolution questions of, you know, was, was Adam a historical figure? And then this woman who was probably in her mid to late forties, very professional, probably, you know, at least one advanced degree, if not more, she, she raised her hand. She said, my question is who was before God? Like who made God? You know, like who, who, who made God? And I didn't know how to respond. Like my, uh, in some sense, my mouth just kind of dropped open and I was just baffled by the question, not baffled by the question per se, but baffled that somehow my, my assumption is this person has spent decades within the church, maybe longer and has gone through an advanced degree and graduated from high school and yet was able to ask that question. And at a, at a certain level, I understand the, the question, you know, but at another question, but at another level, it's like what you learn in philosophy 101 is when we say God, we think of nothing. Uh, when, we, when we say the word God, that, that's there's nothing we can think of nothing greater that not, no, the, that God is nothing before and nothing after. Like God is a completely different reality than us. And you, you can't you can't conceive of God this, this way, like that God is holy other. When we say God, we say, um, you know, a, a great name or a great concept in which there, you, you, you can't think behind it. And, um, and yet here we are, you know, in, in some sense, that just is the American reality of our classes being and our education being more on kind of STEM stuff, you know, and like functional education for what kind of job you're going to have than to think of like larger philosophical questions. But I think that why I bring that up is there just is a kind of sense in our congregations that we haven't helped people recognize that when we're talking about God, we're not just talking about you know, like all of the Simpsons, a big human being just like us, we're talking about that which nothing is greater. We're talking about the Alpha and Omega. We're talking about the beginning and the end. We're talking about uh, God who is beyond being, you know, like that, uh, that, yeah. And I think that does, I, I'm not trying to say that pastoral ministry becomes philosophy class. But there is a kind of sense of recognizing the great word God again 
you know, like how do we help our people say the great word God again? And I think this is a huge issue in our, in our cultural situation is that God has not, God has been stripped of being a great word, you know, like God refers to some kind of fuzzy, uh, non-material reality that supports everything I believe. You know, not the one who encounters me and judges me, not the one of which I stand before, um, who is greater than than anything that could be conceived, something that is not part of this world but nevertheless breaks into it. I, I think that's the key because this is one of the biggest struggles that I feel in ministry right now is like how do you wade through all of the ideologues and the tension and the turmoil and all the issues and all that but maybe it is that judgment that we don't like where you have someone constantly checking you and judging you uh you know we love to talk about the the lovey-dovey forgiveness side of of god but having that humility bore out through judgment and being in a spot where you could admit that you don't have all the answers, and again, back to the beginning, that God is God, maybe that's the key of moving forward, and and it's about about bringing that out in people too. Yeah, and that feels really harsh, and it it, but it shouldn't. And what we're saying when we're talking about God being the God who is God, um, you know, being great in other isn't to kind of make isn't isn't to try to like paint a big metaphysical kind of, um, I don't know, like a, a big metaphysical force that we have to attend to. It is really to try to remind us of, of true otherness, of what it means for God to really be other. And the reality is, is that even in our deepest relationships where we truly hold up otherness at the, even the human to human level, that has a way of judging us, you know? So, so judgment comes out of love, but the kind of love we tend to glorify and talk about now in our cultural context tends not to be with otherness. Like we're almost too afraid of true otherness. So we want everything to be the same and we love what is the same. And we try to turn, you know, our partners and, um, you know, I don't know, our other affiliations into the same and, you know, into something we affiliate with that we can, we can completely affiliate with. And then we get really upset when that thing judges us because it's not supposed to judge us because it's the same as us. And now that's a betrayal, but true otherness that's bound in a true love uh, that upholds otherness will judge. Um, It will judge in the fact that it is other than you. And so um, to say the great name, God again is just to remember of the distinctive and complete otherness of God, which means that when God encounters us, God only encounters us out of love, but out of that otherness of God, there also is a sense of judgment in it. And the judgment is bound in love, and it is the re- realization that God is is other, um, and that judgment demands some things have to be lost or put to death for the sake of being in relationship with the one who is truly other. Um, and that happens in, in just much smaller ways, um, at least metaphysically much smaller ways, with other human beings that we really do treat as others and uphold the boundary of otherness. But it, it has to happen, I think, at the, the human to divine level as well. 
This podcast features Dr. Andy Root, and it's produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard, and it's brought to you by Baker Publishing. Andy has lots of great books out by Baker, including his most recent work, Churches in the Crisis of Decline, which can be found on Amazon or wherever else you get your books. If you like this show, please give us a good review on iTunes and tell a friend or two about the show. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time for another round of When Church Stops Working.